Awesome. Well, welcome back uh, to church. Uh, we don't exactly know. We're studying carols. We don't exactly know who wrote the next Christmas carol we're going to consider this morning. Go tell it on the mountain. We do know, however, that it was a slave song, most likely uh, composed in the South sometime between 1840 and 1860. So in another 20 years, roughly, this will be 200 years old. The text of the song goes like this. You sang it this morning. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth, when look out, Above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born. And God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. And then a less oft-sung verse. He made me a watchman upon the city wall. And if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. And then, of course, the chorus, go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. It seems that this song is based on two passages, two passages of Scripture. We don't know for sure, okay? It's the way it seems. First would be Luke 2, which is the story of the shepherds. That one's rather obvious, right? Shepherds and shepherds. But then there's another passage that I want to read to you this morning from Isaiah 52.7, where the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, talks about a day when the good news of the Messiah, the good news of Jesus, will be announced throughout the earth. This is the way Isaiah put it. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So, the writer of the carol basically says this, go to the mountaintops and shout the good news. The good news of a Savior who has been born, Jesus Christ. What's fascinating is that the Apostle Paul uses this text in establishing what's called the Great Commission. And we will see that when we get to the 10th chapter of Romans, he'll explain the, the last words of Jesus who initially set this into motion. Um, and we will see that, that Paul will explain the urgency of the Great Commission or uh, the sending of the gospel. He will say that Jesus came so that people of every tribe, every tongue, um, would receive the good news, would have an offer to be saved. Uh, here's his words in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And at that point, we say, man, thank God for pastors. No, that's not what he's saying. Everybody is to preach, to share the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, and this is where we sense Paul pulling from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So while you may say, go tell it on the mountain, pastor, come on. That's not a top 10 carol. I mean, why would we look at go tell it on the mountain? Why not, why not, oh, come all ye faithful. I can't believe you're not taking up. Hark the herald angels sing. I would say, because go tell it on the mountain is what connects the Christmas story to the Great Commission. Does that make sense? Go tell it on the mountain is what connects the facts of Jesus' birth to what, to what we're supposed to do with the facts. The song tells us these things. One, to who the good news comes. The song tells us, two, what the good news brings along with it. And number three, the song tells us where the good news sends, okay? So we're going to look at all three of those first, to who the good news comes. The song says the good news came first to who? Who to come to? Shepherds. Yeah, shepherds. So while shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens, there shone a holy light. The fact that a slave or slaves who wrote this song felt drawn to a story about shepherds should not surprise us. Why? Why would a slave or slaves who wrote this song being drawn to a story about shepherds, why ought that not surprise us? It's because shepherds were considered to be the lowest class of the Jewish society in the same way that slaves were considered to be the lowest class in their day. Of course, now we know this was an egregious evil in the eyes of God and ought to be in ours, but the slaves wrote this tune. Uh, the nativities uh, in our home, the, the creches, they are, I hope you know, in every way romanticized. Okay? It didn't quite look as beautiful as the porcelain paints. Okay? Um, my guess is that in your creche, uh, on your coffee table, your uh, shepherds look very handsome. Clean cut. They appear as though they smell of Axe body spray, perhaps. Uh, some, some nice outfits, some uh, bandanas. Um, they appear reverent, even glowing, eyes focused on the Christ child. Yet in reality, they were homeless people. They roamed about the countryside, keeping watch or their flocks, at night. It was the least desirable job of its day. It was for the least skilled laborers. Uh, many a songs have been written about shepherd boys. Why boys? Because the job was below most men. That's why Boys, if you were a shepherd, it meant, and a man, it meant you were a failed life. Um, if you were at a party and they said, what do your kids do? Let's say you're a boomer and you're at a party and, and they asked, what, what does your son do? Nobody wanted to answer, our son's still a shepherd, actually. 
because that meant something had gone wrong with his career. It'd be like saying today, my son, he, unfortunately, he still plays video games in the basement at 40. That's what he does. Not to mention, shepherds were dirty. They lived among what? Yeah, animals, sheep, of course. So they smelled like animals. How many of you know what a dog that needs a bath smells like? That is what the shepherd smelled like, okay? Um, you'd smell them before you would see them coming. They smell badly. Uh, three words, it's been said, describe the shepherds. Stink, stank, and stunk, okay? And since they weren't respected, well, they worked seven days a week. They could not go to church. Uh, their thoughts or testimonies were not even considered in court. Um, nobody would trust them. Uh, so needless to say, it's an interesting choice on the part of our creator to reveal the news of the, the coming savior, the son of God to a group of shepherds. Why? Why reveal the news of the birth of the king of all kings to the lowest class folks? I mean, how many political candidates for office today choose to announce their candidacy among farmers and dirty animals? Um, I'm not saying, by the way, that farming is the lowest class, don't make that parallel. I'm just saying, why would God choose people who live on the land? Why would he choose people who live away from everybody else? Here's why, perhaps, God chose shepherds. God chose shepherds to communicate the nature of the gospel. God reached to, to the bottom of society first with the news of the coming Savior. God was communicating with me, nobody lacks value. With me, nobody's worthless. With me, nobody's of little importance. With me, everybody is significant. No human being is too broken for my kindness. No human being is a, is a waste of, of my time. Nobody is too poor for my attention. Nobody is, is, is lacking in, in value with, in, my, in my book. So, so who's in a better position to to believe the good news furthermore. Who do you think? The self-sufficient? Who have no need? Do you think they would be in a better position to believe the story that the angels proclaimed? I don't know about you. I think those with need, those who live in isolation, out of contact, generally speaking, with other human beings, um, those who are physically hungry often, those who lack 
resources. Um, the very essence of sin is, is pride, the idea that we don't really need God. We're just doing fine without God. It would seem that those who are well off financially and, and, and have enough money to guarantee tomorrow that, that they often don't think as much about the need to stay right with God because their money is their security. Those who are good-looking feel that, that they already have everybody else's approval. Why do they need God's? Those who are morally upright feel as though they have everybody's respect. They assume that God, if God would accept anybody, gosh, God would accept me. But what we're in the process of learning in our study of the book of Romans is that all of those perceptions are an illusion. One small microscopic bacteria entering your body could change everything in your life. Did you know that? In a moment. One of the most famous generals in the Civil War died of a tick bite. Armies couldn't stop him, and he was downed by a tiny little insect that crawled up his boot couple Sunday mornings ago, I texted Shannon and I said, don't forget, honey, to be safe on the way to church. You've got our four kids. I just all of a sudden was hit with the realization that in a moment, an accident could destroy my family. Anybody just have that hit you every once in a while? And you send a message to your loved ones, please be safe. Please watch for deer. Please slow down around corners. Please watch for black ice. It's true. We're all susceptible. One ex unexpected call from the boss could derail everything. For farmers, one rain at the wrong time could mess up everything. So sometimes we catch ourselves comparing ourselves to others and thinking, well, we've got it together. We're doing pretty good. And then we read the words of Jesus who said, we ought to be so surrendered to him that if he asked us to give everything to the poor, we would do so without a second thought. Or Jesus told us we ought to be so full of love that if somebody, if somebody asks us for a jacket, for the jacket we're wearing, that we tell them, not only can you have my jacket, you can have my shirt too. That we're so full of love that that's our response. Jesus said our hearts need to be so pure that not only will we not be with anybody who's not our spouse, but we wouldn't even conceive, we wouldn't even think of being with anybody who wasn't our spouse. So we're learning that underneath all this religious makeup, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches. We're all self-willed. Even if we look like we got it all together, we're all rebellious. We're all manipulative. And you, you ask, Pastor, why does the Apostle Paul constantly tell us how bad we are? It's because he wants you to see that there is no hope for earning the grace of God based on what you do. And the question is not, therefore, well, how good do I need to be? No, that's missing the point. The confession is, I realize now I could never ever be good enough for the grace of God. And so it's a gift that must be received. 
Just like the shepherds received the good news. Why did God appear to shepherds? Because shepherds and slaves who wrote this song are usually in a better position to realize that their respectableness will gain them nothing with God. Because they're not respected. You remember the story Jesus told in Luke 18 of those two men that entered the temple? I'll put it in the present day. One was a respectable mill church member, leader, always sat in the front row. I'm not talking about you, Stephanie, just so you know, um, whose prayers were eloquent and, and who volunteered in Pebble Zone when nobody else would and who gave a quarter of a million dollars to the bold initiative, the guy who's always noticing the, the planes in the sky because his, his head so, held so high. And the other was a debt collector uh, who sat at the back and who, who wept and with his head held low because he knew in his heart that he had wronged people. And Jesus said effectively that the only uh, one that got into heaven was a guy at the back who repented of his sin, who knew that he needed the grace of God. Number two, the song tells us what the good news brings. Like many Negro spirituals, that's my favorite genre of classical music. Like many slave songs, this song focuses on God's promise of relief from suffering. Why would a slave get excited about a promise of relief from suffering? Because they suffered daily, hourly. Um, and, and, and God came in, and, and we looked at this in the most famous of Christmas carols last week, Enjoy the World, and there's a declaration that he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, meaning as, as much as the curse has worked its way into the darkness of human existence and all the cracks and crevices, that far has God's blessing also traveled. The Savior came to reverse the curse, wherever it was found, think about what that meant for a slave. I mean, they experienced shame. They experienced injustice. They experienced thankless toil, night and day. And the good news that's being told from the mountaintops is, is that these experiences for the slave who wrote this song and for us is that all of our suffering in life is temporary by the grace of God. Even if temporary means a hundred years. It's not going to last forever. Heaven isn't going to be, by the way, this black and white existence where the music's just a little bit out of tune and, and we float around in clouds as, as spirits. A, a few years back, a study was done. Two-thirds of Christians believed um, that we were not going to have bodies in heaven, that we were going to be uh, spirits. But the Bible seems to indicate, actually, that heaven will not be for the bodiless. In heaven, we will have new bodies. The name for heaven is the new heaven and the new earth, which means it's like the old heaven or the old earth, but it's new. And that means that whatever comes down here is cursed. We will have a healed version up in heaven. 
Just imagine what a glorified heavenly ribeye will taste like if we're currently tasting the cursed version. It's going to be good, isn't it, Matt? It's going to be good. Imagine the heavenly Grand Canyon. Maybe there's a heavenly Miller Park where the Brewers win every game. So here's my question for you. Where has the curse touched your family? Where has the curse touched your family? I know a family, the curse just touched them by way of cancer for a 38-year-old man. Where has the curse touched your family? Know in glory that there's going to be as much blessing as there was a curse in this life. How many of you say that's hopeful? God gives us hope. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Isaiah 49 tells us, See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. What does that mean? That means to, to the slave who would read this prophecy that, that a family torn apart by injustice would one day see it restored. That means a parent who lost a child to an untimely death or by brutal treatment um, from the master, that they will see that son brought back into their arms by the angels, lost sons and daughters. They'll carry them on their shoulders in heaven. What a day that will be for us. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you lost a baby to a miscarriage? How excitable is it going to be to see that beautiful life? As far as the curse was found on the earth, the blessing will be in heaven. It's going to be awesome. Also scares me a bit because I know how wryly the four are that I have. But amazing. Number three, where the good news sends. So this Christian brother of ours, nearly 200 years ago, this slave, says this, go tell it everywhere. In other words, if the good news really means that there is no one who is too lowly, too bottom of the barrel for God to pursue, if that there's nobody who's too insignificant for God to overlook, that if there's nobody who's so guilty that God would forsake, if there's nobody that was so broken that God would not heal, nobody so lost that God would not find, that he's able to save everyone, if that's true, go tell everybody. Make it known everywhere. I'll explain to you the mountain imagery. In, in those days, most cities in, in the Middle East were placed in the valleys between the mountains, and, and that's where they settled. And so when you would wait for good news, messengers would come down from across the hills, from down the mountains. And the, the city watchmen, they would be the first one. They were up on towers to see the messengers coming. And, and that's why we read the verse in, in the hymn that we less often sing, he made me a watchman upon the city wall. In other words, the Christian, the believer, we 
are watchmen. We are the ones who announce, I have seen Jesus. He has come. The battle has been won. So let me tell you about his grace. It's also available to you. Let me tell you, neighbor. Let me tell you, coworker. Let me tell you, friend. Let me tell you, family member. Do you remember um, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan? I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy, but I, I did love the films. I've never read the books. Um, do you remember the two towers um, where the huge army of, of Sauron, did I pronounce that correctly, is coming uh, to, to invade um, and destroy Aragorn and uh, is it uh, Theoden and, um, and Legolas and, and Aragorn all of a sudden remembers the, the, the promise of uh, Gandalf. And he remembers the words of Gandalf, which are the good, the good wizard's words, which are at first light on the fifth day, look to the east for my coming. And he looks up to the mountain where the sun is first shining through. And there is Gandalf, his hair glowing, his armies following, coming over the crest of the hill to bring salvation and to bring rescue. There's no group anywhere. There's nobody too low surrounded by whatever mountain of oppression there is for God to not come to the rescue. For God to not save. And this includes shepherds. And this includes the homeless. And this includes kids in foster care. And this includes the hungry. And this includes addicts. It includes slaves. Mother Teresa said, the poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty of them all, end quote. And what I want you to see this morning is that these were the ones to whom Jesus came. The unloved, the unwanted, the uncared for. And the writer of the carol, who is a slave, we can't forget that, says, don't they deserve to know? Don't they deserve to hear? Shouldn't we be scaling mountains to tell people about the goodness of God? We ought not to be lacking courage. We ought to be having courage. And the question is not whether or not we're called to go tell it on the mountain. The question is where and when are we called to go tell it on the mountain? Hudson Taylor, English missionary. Uh, I, I've heard that he could barely stand to worship in churches where he would be invited to speak. Thousands of people. He's the guest speaker. And for the music portion, like before he preaches his sermon, he would be on the streets. Because the sound of a bunch of Christians being in the church when the silence of the world just outside the walls was overwhelming him, he could not tolerate it. He just had to be on the streets among the people sharing the love of God and they would come and get him and tell him when it was his time to preach. That is the urgency which, with which he felt that he needed to go and tell it on the mountain. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, 
that ministered the homeless. I'll, I'll close with this. He said, not called, did you say? Refused to hear the call. I think you should say. Just put your ear down to the Bible and hear him, God, bid you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened and agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go back and tell their father's house and warn their brothers and sisters not to come there and then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether or not you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Again, telling your neighbors and friends and family members about the love of God for them is not a question of calling. Preaching is for all of us. It's a question of obedience. We sing it with animation. Go, tell it on the mountain. We sing it vigorously. But whom have you told? Who are you telling? Who are you invested in? Who is your one that we have saddled you with reaching during this Romans series. Who among us is actually going to show up on the mountain with beautiful feet to tell somebody that they're worth it, that they're loved, that they're wanted by God? Because unto them today is a Savior born. Amen? So Father, I pray, Lord, every time that we sing this song, that we would have individuals on our minds, in our hearts, and that God, that you would use us relationally to lead them to you. Maybe it would start with a, a tin of cookies. Maybe it would start with, with a phone call saying, I'm so sorry your marriage is, is in such a difficult place this year. I was just thinking of you and I just wanted you to know we care about you. I know, I know we live a couple houses down, but you were just on our hearts. Maybe, maybe it's a, a stop by, an old-fashioned stop by. We just wanted to say Hi. Maybe it's a discouraged person at work. God loves you. You may or may not take offense to this, but I just have to say it. I want you to know God loves you. You're valuable. You're worth him coming. Lord, help us to go tell it on the mountain. In Jesus' name, amen.